Welcome to the All In Gospel Bible Study. Each week, we move chapter by chapter through the Bible towards a comprehensive understanding of what the Bible teaches. All In Gospel is recorded live in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, featuring Dr. Sean Dickers. You can support this broadcast by subscribing or donating at the allingospel.com website. So, Dad asked me to, uh, to pick a sermon a couple weeks ago that uh, had meant a lot to me going through Bible study, or uh, through Bible college. So I, I chose, uh, I think it was Timothy 4 or so. Um, I'd gone through a rather awkward relationship that ended poorly, and, um, and so that, that sermon hit pretty close around that time, and it meant a lot to me. So I chose that one, and I sent it to him, and I said, well, this is kind of a favorite teaching from Bible college that I enjoyed. And he said, okay, cool. And he said, well, you want to teach it in a couple weeks. And, uh, well, it's, it's about how women are supposed to behave in the church. So I, I looked him right in the eye, and I said, oh, heck no, I do not want to teach that next week. And he said, okay. Well, he said, well, what about if you just start with Timothy 1 then? And I said, yeah, I, I, I can do that. Um, it occurred to me about halfway through the preparation that if this becomes a recurring thing, that eventually I'll have to teach that pet. Yeah, but at that point I was too invested and I was like, oh, oh well, we'll get there when we get there. So um, I like Timothy because it's, um, um, it's just about how to run a church and how to do that well and efficiently. Um, and I, I appreciate that Timothy is a young man in the ministry getting advice on how to lead a ministry. Um, and that's, uh, that's cool. So, 1 Timothy 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and of the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Verse 5, now for the purpose of the commandment, um, the purpose of the commandment, my bad, is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, the soul, uh, yep, the soul as distinguishing between what is morally good and bad, prompting to do the former and shun the latter, commending one and condemning the other, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. <clears throat> I would like to point out here, too, at this point, that my vocal cords seem to be coated in some kind of weird substance. So if my voice cracks or squeaks, I promise that's, that's not a normal situation. That's, that's been a recent development. So Paul was God's chosen apostle to the Gentiles. Paul is responsible for having founded many churches across the Roman world. Um, he was uh, kind of the, the leading or foremost missionary of the time, I guess. Uh, Timothy started traveling with Paul on many occasions. Um, he joined Paul um, between uh, Derby and Lystra. Timothy was sort of in training under Paul, um, and became one of the guys that Paul trusted to visit churches for him and to, uh, to pastor those churches at some point. Timothy traveled with Paul for 17 years. 
He was from central Turkey, for those of you who would like to know. It is likely that Paul would have written this letter from his prison in Rome. So this letter might be one of the last times that Timothy heard from Paul before Paul met his end. Paul's introduction is extremely formal. It doesn't assume a relationship between Paul and Timothy. For most of us, we hear a name. I hear Alyssa, and I know who that is. I know that Alyssa is a good friend. I know she's married to Zach. I know that Zach does sound stuff. I know Alyssa does art stuff, right? I know who Alyssa is, and I know the relationship that I have with her. Um, Paul doesn't assume his relationship with Timothy. He spells it out. Um, This would mean that this letter was meant to be read to a wider audience. It was meant to be read to the church. Paul's authority to instruct and to teach is also spelled out very clearly. Again, this letter was to be read in a larger group setting. It wasn't just for Timothy. It was for anyone who might hear it. So, where is that here? In verse 2, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, Paul is not claiming Timothy as his own son. Paul is pointing out that they are both sons of God. When we become saved, we become children of God. God can live wherever he wants to, and he chooses to live in our hearts. Salvation is a choice. God chooses us, but we also choose him. Verse 2, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord and Jesus Christ our Lord. <clears throat> this is Paul's typical greeting to the churches he wrote to. Uh, with one exception, he adds mercy to that list. Uh, that is also found in Titus. Uh, both Timothy and Titus were pastors. So make sure that you pray for your pastors. They have a lot of responsibility, um, and uh, they need to both exercise mercy and be shown mercy from God on a fairly regular basis. So pray for them. Pray mercy for them. Um, Also pray for wisdom for their leadership. So in verse 3, we get to uh, Paul's primary purpose for the letter. Everything else is going to build off of and flow from this first initial setup. So verse 3, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. So the, uh, the Greek for urged there means to, um, to beg or to plead. It's a call to stand beside. Uh, in verse 3, Paul asked Timothy to remain in Ephesus. Um, Paul knew Timothy very well and knew that the task might be something that Timothy would find very intimidating. As we move on in the chapter, we'll see that Timothy had quite a task ahead of him. Um, and he might have been uh, scared off by it. So Paul's encouraging him not to be intimidated. If God's called you to something, don't give up on that calling. See it through. Just because things get tough doesn't mean that God is not with you. So a charge there is a commander in order. Um, Timothy was charged or commanded to stand his post. The task he was given was to refute and rebuke the false teachers that were there in Ephesus. So doctrine or our beliefs are important to us. Um, They're important to us both on a a personal level, just what we believe personally, but also on a spiritual level. The important thing with that, especially on a spiritual level, is that we believe in what is true. Uh, Truth is important. Gusick had a nice comment on this. He said, We live in a day where pilots question what is truth, that's John 18, 38, 
is answered today, whatever it means to you. But truth is important to God and should be important to us. Choose to believe in what is important and build, your, build yourself and your beliefs, your core around that. So Timothy had, to, had a very daunting task here in Ephesus. Um, most of us don't like conflict, so we can, uh, we can resonate with wanting to shy away from conflict as quickly as we can. We avoid that conflict, uh, even if that means avoiding certain people or problems or even situations. Um, by implication here, it seems that Timothy was intimidated, that he perhaps even wanted to leave Ephesus. And uh, Paul asked him to, say, to stay. Uh, God has called him. We know that, uh, that later we'll see that uh, Timothy was even prophesied over, that this would be something that he would do. So what verse is it now here? So in verse 4, um, it speaks about fables. Fables in the Greeks is mythos. I'm guessing most of you know where I'm going with that. Um, it would have referred very directly to the Greek myths and legends. Um, myths are not true. And the way we define truth is by the Bible. So we need to make sure that when we speak, it is with truth. Fables would have been what the Greeks argued about, right? Um, whereas genealogies were something that the Jewish people had a real affinity for. We know this because they kept very careful track over them. So the early Christians had to fight off several heresies. They had to fight off the Gnostics, the, Docet the Docetists, the Arianists. We still have fights in the church around heresy. From outside the church, we've got, um, we've got groups that aren't part of our church, like the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses. We also have um, heresies inside the church that still seek to uh, divide and cause disputes. We've got the uh, emotionalists or the charismatics on one extreme. We've got the legalists on the other. And what I would like to call planned church theology or seeker-friendly churches that are somewhere more in the middle. Um, these are all not necessarily good or not necessarily true. And it is our job to uh, know those and identify those. So in verse 4, we see uh, disputes in edification. Um, edification means the management of property. That can be your property, someone else's property, to be an administrator or a steward over it. We are to build up each other's faith. In a certain sense, we are our brother's keeper spiritually. We have a responsibility to encourage the faith of others, to lead them to growth in a way. Uh, Paul talks about dietary issues in the early church as a point where many were stumbled over uh, personal convictions that others didn't hold. So we need to make sure that we are mindful of that, that we encourage people. Edification is the trusting of God to change and raise people. It takes faith to trust the working of God rather than to argue. The temptation is to tell someone, well, you know, actually we don't have to worry about what meat that we eat as long as it's not been sacrificed to idols. That's not our job. Our job is to trust that God brings about that change in them um, and that God can do a better job of that than our arguing with them. Okay, so Paul's calling out a certain behavior and churches back in this day would have been very small. So it is quite likely that everyone in the church, as soon as they heard that read, would have known exactly who Paul was talking about. And for those people, it would have been pretty awkward. Um, Paul is calling those people out, straightforward-like. 
Paul's not trying to heal them at this point or to keep up his church numbers. The goal is simply to call them out. Paul's actually trying to embarrass them here, to bring about a change of heart in them. Verse 5, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, the soul as distinguishing between what is morally good and bad, prompting to do the former and shun the latter, commending one and condemning the other, and from sincere faith, which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. <clears throat> so the idea of a pure heart there is that it is free from corrupt desire. Gusick says, The purpose of the law is found in its inward work upon the heart and not in mere outward observance. Without this understanding, it is easy to become shallow legalists who are only concerned with outward performance and appearance. So in verse 6, we see that um, some have strayed away from a sincere faith. Um, we can be sure of our salvation in Christ. We know that we have that. We know that it's been promised to us. So to stray away from it is pretty sad. Um, we are to build love and to build relationship both with each other in fellowship and with God. To do that, we need to avoid idle talk, or in the King, King James, it is vain janglings, which makes me very happy. I like that. There are people that only want an argument, and they're going to ask dishonest questions to attempt to get that argument. Our temptation is to fight back, to step up to the plate and say, well, actually, that's not how that is. Or to avoid the conflict and to walk away. Sometimes that can be really hard, especially when it's a dishonest question and we know that that's a leading question. They're saying something that's like, okay, even I know the answer to that. Let me help you out here. But Paul tells us that we need to walk away from that, that it is idle, that it's a vain jangling. Paul is writing this to Timothy because it's a problem in Timothy's church. So, if it's a problem in Timothy's church, a church that Paul would have founded, by the way, that means we need to also be on the lookout for this in our own church. Nobody is exempt from idle talk. It can happen quickly and easily. Like I said before, for the Jews, it was genealogies. They'd get hung up in these genealogies that go on forever and how they could possibly find the Messiah through the different genealogies and the different ways they can do that. We see examples of that in the gospel where uh, is it, it's Matthew and is it Luke? Luke, thank you, uh, have two totally different genealogies that both lead to Christ. So the Jews would get way into this. <laughs> and then for the Greeks, it was myths. I mentioned that before. Don't waste your words. Focus on discussing sound doctrine. Verse 8, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. <coughs> Verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. The law is important. The Old Testament is important. The law is what shows us what's bad. We don't know what's in the deep, dark, scary hole until we shine a light down there and we find out there's snakes in the hole. Bet you're glad you didn't jump into that hole. 
God made the law to keep us from being lawless. We need rules to live. Um, when we're kids, we grow up knowing that you don't touch the stove. That's bad, and that'll, that'll cause you pain, and we don't want that. And we're told to not eat those tasty-looking little red berries that are scattered all over the woods because they're poisonous. Without those laws, we would be in a lot worse position. Verse 9, that the law was not made for righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate. The law has taught a righteous person where to walk. This means that the righteous person can walk without fear of breaking the law. They don't need it because they've been shown the way by it. So I mentioned that we're supposed to discuss sound doctrine. Um, We can look at the opposite of that list to kind of get a good idea as to what that would be. But notice that on that list... We've got perjurers and liars that are listed side by side with murderers. It's important that we know the law so that when people come up that have false doctrine, that are liars, that are perjurers, that we know it and we're confident in the law that we can either walk away or challenge them if we need to. So sometimes false teachers don't know the implication of what they're teaching. They don't think it all the way through. Um, I have this happen quite a bit. (laughs) One of my very favorite pastimes of all time, I don't know if it should be, but it is one of my favorites, is to go find my sister and start an argument. It is great fun. But there are times when I will start with a premise that sounds really good up front, but I haven't thought it all the way through. That's part of the purpose of arguing with Katie is because she's a very good sounding board. So I'll start with this premise, and it sounds real good, and I'll defend it to the bitter end, but about halfway through, I realized that my premise is bad, that it's leading to an outcome that was not intended, that is not good, um, and is nowhere close to what the intended purpose of whatever premise I came up with was. And at that point, I have a choice. I can either suck my pride down and admit that I was wrong, Or I can double down on whatever the premise is and actually see it through to the bitter end. Which, when you're arguing with your sister, I'm going to let you take a guess as to which one I choose. False teachers will often double down on their mistakes. Verse 12. And I thank Jesus Christ our Lord, who has enabled me, because he has counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that... In me, first, Jesus Christ might, sh- might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So the original meaning of ministry is straight-up service. Originally, it was not loaded with the spiritual connotations that it is today, It was simply to serve. When we were at, I think you all have heard this story before, but when when we were at uh, Calvary Chapel, Madison, there was a gentleman there who was a a brilliant scientist who had, uh, whose uh, 
work was to genetically modify foods for better production and growth in different areas that were hard hit around the globe, areas that didn't have food. And what he did on Sunday is he would show up and he would clean the restrooms and bake cherry pie. And that was his thing. That's what he did. That man knew that ministry is service and it can be very, very small. God enables us to do our work. God chooses us based on what we can achieve, but not on what we have achieved. Paul's done some bad stuff, but God chose him to deliver the gospel to the Roman world. God decides when and if we are ready, but that doesn't mean that we don't need to prepare. Uh, We need to prepare um, by being faithful even in the little things. Faithfulness is not something uh, we do to wait on God. Uh, Hold on, let me restart that. Faithfulness is not something we wait to do until God calls us. It's something we need to actively be doing. Uh, In Matthew 25, verse 21, we see, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over few things. I will make you the ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Gusick says, Faithfulness made Paul ready to be used by God. We need to start by being faithful in the little things. That's little things like your job, what God's called you to do professionally. It's faithful in your family, being there to minister to them, uh, be they saved or unsaved. It's any of the small ministries that you do at church, like cleaning toilets or baking pies. It's straight up going to church. Make sure that you're praying and that you're reading your Bible on a regular basis. Those are little things that each of us can do to be faithful so that we are prepared when God calls us. So Paul mentions that he was a blasphemer. To blaspheme um, is not necessarily in reference to profanity, although using the name of the Lord in vain is not a good thing, and the Bible does have stuff to say on that too. Um, But to blaspheme is to speak poorly or roughly of God, is to put down the name of God or the work of God. Paul calls himself a persecutor. That's true. From the book of Acts, we know that he was very well known across the ancient world as kind of the the lead guy when it came to persecuting the early church. Paul calls himself an insolent man. Uh, This insolence would be before God. Um, I don't think it's all that dissimilar to blasphemy. Don't be ashamed of your past sins. They're in the past. Um, In Christ, they've been brought into the light, and they're no longer a problem, hopefully. Just because your past is a mess doesn't mean that you cannot serve God. Paul's not ashamed of his past, but he's also not boasting about it. Paul is using his failings to point towards God's mercy. In verse 13, uh, Paul says that he did it, his sins, ignorantly and in unbelief. Um, Paul's not saved on account of his ignorance. Ignorance isn't an excuse to sin. It's simply an obstacle for our faith. Jesus came to save sinners, of which Paul was one and still is one. Although Paul's sins are in the past, he is still a sinner by nature. Jesus draws sinners to himself, and we are sinners as well. We also fall into the same category. We know that we need a Savior, so we turn to Jesus. And we know from Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen that if we seek him, we will find him.
Paul calls himself the chief sinner. Um, Spurgeon says all men are truly sinners, but not all men are equally sinners. They are all in the mire, but they have not all sunk to an equal depth of it. I like that image. The reason for God's mercy is so that he can show his long-suffering to all and for all. God is very, very patient with us. Paul is a great example of this because of Paul's past, because of those sins. If God has forgiven and is so very patient with Paul, then he can be patient with you. I would hope that no one here has gone out actively persecuting the early church, killing believers. That, that would be bad, right? But if God can be patient with Paul if, Paul, if God can forgive Paul of that, he can forgive you of whatever it is. Paul puts God first. Paul doesn't put his church first. Paul just puts God first. Everything that Paul does, he writes his letters, he does his ministry, he does it in the name of God. Paul was a big enough guy, right, to where he could have founded an organization if he wanted to. He could have had uh, Paul Mediterranean Ministries LLC, right? He could have sponsored races if he wanted to, you know, a race for the, uh, the a race for the, a race for salvation to Rome. How about that? Yeah, he could have done that if he wanted to, but he didn't. He was just Paul. He's a soldier of Christ, and he operates on Christ's authority. I still need this page. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies that were previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Uh, This was verse 18 and 19. By them you may wage the good warfare, verse 19, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. So Paul knows that Timothy is going to follow his lead, Paul has the authority, um, and he knows that Timothy will accept his authority and, and will take his advice. A lot of people think that there is not some form of hierarchy in the church, but there is. There is a hierarchy of a sort, but it's more of a familial hierarchy. It's not a, a business hierarchy where there's the CEO or the pastor, and then there's kind of everybody that's under him. No, that's not quite the way it works. It's not a feudal system with a king. It's, it's a family. Paul was Timothy's pastor, to put that very simply. So verse 18, we see that Timothy is prophesied over. Gusick says, Paul wanted Timothy to consider what the Holy Spirit had said to him through others in the past. I like that. I think that's a, a nice thought to add to that. Prophecy... Um, is when you speak for God or, what, or you speak what you believe that God would have you to say. So it is not specifically prophesying in a predictive fashion. It can be a little bit broader than that. So it is quite possible that Timothy was prophesied over in a very Old Testament predictive sort of way. Timothy, thou shalt fight the good warfare in thine older years or however it would have gone. It could have also been that just there were things that he was encouraged by as he was living his life in the fellowship of Christ. Um, this happened to me um, while I was here not that long ago. Um, I was praying with some of y'all, and uh, I, the prayer request that I put out was, you know, good and all that, but the way that it was prayed for was so much beyond what I had asked. It was, it was something that, um, 
it was something that really blessed me when I heard it. But again, it wasn't something that I'd asked for. It was something that that person just said. And there's no way that they would have known to say that to encourage me. They just did. I think that is a form of prophecy right there. Do remember that um, prophets need to be tested. Just because someone claims to have spoken for God does not mean that they do. Um, And according to 1 Corinthians 14.29, we do need to test that against the word to make sure that it is of God. So Timothy is called. Many of us are called, and we are not all called to the same thing. We are called to many, many different things. Timothy was called to fight a spiritual war. Um, He had false teachers in his fellowship that he had been charged to root out and to refute. So in verse 18, prophecies previously made concerning you that by them you may wage the good warfare. We need to prepare to wage war like a soldier. You don't walk in unprepared. We are prepared through God and we are prepared, um, we are prepared by God in the way that he moves and the way that he works in our lives. Timothy was prophesied over. He was encouraged. That comes from God, not from Timothy. There are things that we need to do to prepare um, that are also just good practice for us. And those things are reading our Bible, um, in prayer, and in, of course in fellowship. In verse 19, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected. Some people reject God. Those people are not God's people. We need to turn them over to the enemy so that they can see the fruits of their actions. It is not our job to save people from themselves. Jesus saves. It is our job to warn people of what that will bring them to. It's our job to warn them of the destruction that is coming to them. It is our job to be witnesses of what God has done in our lives. So the tools of spiritual warfare there are faith and good conscience. Faith protects us against doubts. In Ephesians 6, we get a very vivid picture of this with uh, faith being our, our shield to protect us against the fiery darts that the enemy throws at us, right? Good conscience protects us in our relationships. When you do battle for God, you will have people that try to get under your skin, those people that ask dishonest questions, right? Keep your conduct pure. Be above reproach. It's important to, especially verbally, to turn the other cheek. When those people come at you, sometimes the best thing you can do is to just let it slide. In our flesh, we want to fight back. We want to, we want to stick it right back to them. But we, can't, we don't want to do that. Because if we do that, then we, they've gotten under our skin. We've failed to turn the other cheek, and that can hurt our good conscience. Okay, so in, also in verse 19, I love that Paul uses the phrase, suffered shipwreck. Um, our, our AD version of that would be that uh, their, their faith is a train wreck, right? That makes me very happy. <laughs> so when I was a school bus driver, I would go out every morning, and I'd get there before, you know, before I go out on route, and I would, I would check my bus to make sure that it was in good shape, that it was in good working order, that the tires were all correctly attached and weren't going to go flying off while I was driving down the road, that the steering wheel was still mostly attached. You know, it had a couple inches of play in it, but whatever. Made sure the brakes worked, all that sort of thing. Our faith is kind of the same way. We need to keep our faith in good working order so that it doesn't come to a train wreck. 
so that we, the wheels don't come flying off when we're driving down the road with kids. <laughs> the best way that we can keep our faith in good working order is to read our Bible, to pray, and to fellowship with other believers. It is each of our responsibilities to keep our own faith. Our faith is between us and God. It's our job to follow God, not follow people. A shipwrecked faith is the consequence for ignoring your faith and good conscience. When you fail to adhere to the tools that you've been given, you will suffer shipwreck. All of us will. So verse 20. Of whom were Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I delivered to Satan that they may, not, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So Hymenaeus and Alexander were false teachers. False teachers can be very hard to spot. Both of these guys were in the church, and by the implication of the word teaching, they were teaching. They were leaders in some way, shape, or form. Everyone would have known who these guys were, and that makes them even harder to spot. False teachers will often pray on the weak. They look for new believers because those new believers are looking to learn, but they don't have a filter yet. They haven't read the Bible enough to know what it says. The best way to find a false teacher to see them, and we are to be on the lookout for them, the best way to spot them is when you are reading your word, read, read your Bible, when we are in prayer, and when we fellowship. Now, we see here that Paul kicked these two out of the church. Um, so Hymenaeus and Alexander were kind of uh, maybe a root to a problem that is, again, springing up that Timothy now has to deal with. When Paul kicked Hymenaeus and Alexander out of the church, there wouldn't have been anywhere else for them to go. It's not like there were denominations at this point in history. So them leaving the church would have gotten around all the other churches and these guys would have been effectively kicked out of the church as a whole. The hope here was that they would they'd learn their lesson, that they would learn not to blaspheme like Paul says and that they would be redeemed. Now again, if Hymenaeus and Alexander were teacher, teachers in some way, way shape, or form, um, it is possible that they would have even been leaders in the church. It's important that we pray for our leaders. Um, and this doesn't apply just to the church. There aren't any exceptions to that. Um, if our leadership is unsaved outside of the church, we should be praying for their salvation. We also should be praying for their wisdom because they are in charge. They are a leader. So whatever you think of whoever's sitting in the office of the Oval Office, the President of the United States, whatever you think about them, pray for them. Pray for their salvation. Pray for their wisdom. Early Christians would have been praying for the Romans, who would literally throw Christians to the lions, would crucify them, lining the streets with crosses. So we don't have a lot of excuses. <laughs> so when Paul throws Hymenaeus and Alexander out of the church, He's not violating Matthew uh, 7, 1 through 5. Judge not, lest you be judged and all that. As Christians, we are called to be discerning. It is our job to be alert to false teaching and to call it out. It's not our job to judge the motive or the heart. That's God's job. We are to judge the actions of people against the word of God. The point here isn't to tear down but to build up the body of Christ. Rebuke the false teachers, cast them out if you have to, but the hope is for redemption. The hope is that they come back and admit that they were wrong. 
The way that you build up the fellowship is with sound doctrine. As Christians, we are the salt and light of the world. Salt, salt is a defensive force. It keeps the rot at bay when you put it on meat. It also provides flavor, which is a nice touch. Light, on the other hand, is more of an aggressive force. Mm. It's aggressive only to the darkness in that it pushes it back. But it's also a vital tool in that it pushes back the darkness and allows you to see what is ahead. As Christians, we are the scalpel that cuts out the tumor. And we're also the dike that holds back the cold Atlantic. In what, Amsterdam? Am I close? Close enough, fair enough. So to recap, Paul is making one solid message all the way through. We need to be focusing our words on what is pure and noble and sound in doctrine. So in verse 4, we see Paul say to ignore idle talk. In verse 6, it's to turn aside from idle talks and disputes. In verse 8, we see it's to use the law to settle those idle talk and disputes when they become false teaching. In verse 16, 16 Paul is the, um, shows himself to be a model of patience and long-suffering that God is showing to us. We need to be patient with people the way that Christ is patient with us. We need to show more mercy. God changes people. We need to wait on him to do his work. And in verse 18, we see good warfare. Sometimes when all else fails, some people reject God and what is good, and those people got to go. When you reject the leading of your pastor and the leading of God, you're not healthy for the church anymore. And that's a really sad place to be. So, with that, we've come to the end of what I've prepared. So let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, thank you, Lord, for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing, Lord, of fellowship, Lord. Thank you for the, the blessing of your word, Lord. Um, and to be able to, um, to share that, Lord, with my brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord. Um, Lord, I'd like to um, pray that you would help us to uh, show mercy, Lord, and to avoid idle talk, Lord. To avoid um, endless genealogies, Lord, and, and myths and fables, Lord, things that... Uh, don't hold any, any value to us that aren't true, Lord. Help us to seek and pursue your truth, Lord, through the law so that we will not be led astray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you found this teaching helpful, insightful, you can support this podcast by sharing it with a friend. Screenshot it, tag it, post it on your social media.